All right, so uh, we are in week two of our series, Summer in the Psalms, and uh, today we're going to be in Psalm 33. Our psalm today is a psalm of praise to God. Uh, The Hebrew text doesn't tell us who wrote it, but uh, there's a lot of belief that it, it is another of the psalms that David wrote. The occasion for writing this psalm is likely some kind of national victory that Israel had experienced. And so uh, David wrote this song as kind of a celebration for the victory that they'd achieved. Um, uh, We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll just read three verses and then we'll pray. It says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we have sung joyfully to you this morning. Uh, And God, it is our intent to lift up your righteous name, to praise you in the assembly of believers here this morning. Father, I pray, uh, God, that in these moments, we would just put out of our minds those things in the world that might distract us, those things that are going on in our lives. And Father, just for the next 30 minutes or so, that we would just focus upon you. Uh, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and soften and tenderize our hearts. And Lord, just make us receptive to what we may learn from this Psalm of David. So God, just uh, speak to us in these next few moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see in this passage right here at the beginning, he calls the righteous to praise and worship. And uh, basically, he says, strike up the band. He says, bring out the stringed instruments and and everybody come together and and play skillfully and and shout to the Lord. I mean, you can just kind of tell, hey, you know, these were instructions here at the beginning of this psalm to to say, hey, we're going to celebrate. This is going to be a a great time together. I believe that Psalm 33 is the new song the, the Israelites were singing. And that's not an uncommon thing to do. Throughout American history, songwriters have pen moving songs to honor God, to celebrate victory, to inspire people. Uh, other times, songs have been written to kind of call to action uh, people. The song we sang uh, at the beginning of the, of the service, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, was written in the early years of the Civil War to inspire the Union troops as they went to war to end slavery and uh, reunite the Union. This song was sung to the tune of John Brown's body, Uh, Julia Ward Howe penned these words, and it's become a very, very famous song. And you'll notice that, you know, like the psalmist, Julia sought to bring glory to God. She said, glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Love that song. And in the thousands of years, you know, since, you know what, God's truth continues to march on. The psalmist says in verse four, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Really, these two verses form the basis for the praise and worship that uh, the psalmist was talking about. God is right and true. God is faithful. He is someone that we can trust on. We can rely upon him. We can depend on God to keep his word. So he created a world where righteousness and justice could flourish and his unfailing love would be evident to all. Of course, man's sin has kind of upset the beautiful world that God had created. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between in his great power. As we look at the next verses in this 
in this psalm, the psalmist takes us back to creation. Verse six, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He, he commanded and it stood firm. God spoke the world into existence. The stars, the skies, the waters of the deep were all formed by the power of God. If you go back to the opening verses of John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. God created the world. So why do we praise him? We praise him, we praise him because he's Lord, because he created everything, and it all belongs to him. You know, we can't really even comprehend the vastness of outer space. Even with our most powerful telescopes, we are just now beginning to recognize the enormity of space, just how big space really is. In uh, just a couple months ago, uh, Karen and I uh, did a transatlantic cruise. We went from Fort Lauderdale to London on a cruise ship. And there was a time at one point that we were a thousand miles from land in any direction. And the water was two miles deep. And I remember standing uh, on that ship and just kind of looking out. And everywhere you looked, it was, just, it was just water everywhere. There was nothing to see but water. And I just, it, it just made me remember these passages of Scripture and just to realize how big God must be in order for him to measure the seas. Think about it. Verse seven, it said, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts them in the deep into storehouses. You know, the prophet Isaiah said something very similar. Speaking of God, he wrote this in Isaiah 40, verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. Think about it. We serve an awesome God. He says here that, that God can measure the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. You, you think about that? It says that, that, that he, can, he can measure the breadth of the heavens uh, with his hand. You know what that, that, that means? It means between the tip of his finger and his thumb, he can say, you know, uh, how, big is, how big is the universe? Eh, it's about that big. That's how big God is. He can, he can weigh the mountains in his hands. We serve a big God. You know, we marvel at the power of a, an afternoon thunderstorm or the destructive force of a hurricane that we've all experienced. We're shocked when we see the power of floodwaters as they wipe out everything uh, around them or, or the strength of an earthquake and just the damage that it can do. And yet our God is so much bigger and so much stronger than any of these things. That's why the psalmist said in verse eight, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. You know, we should all fear God. We should all stand in awe of God, who he is. The psalmist said that we're to revere him. You know, I think if we had a right view of God, our worship would be transformed. Sadly, our culture has done its best to erase God 
from the story of creation. They've concocted the story, you know, an origin story based on a random chance and a big bang and, and billions of years of mutations. And if you even question their so-called science, they label you as an anti-intellectual religious nut. And yet I believe that the biblical story of God's creation requires less faith and makes more sense than the nonsense that they're pushing in the name of science. I fully believe the biblical narrative, especially that which Amos shared uh, with the children of Israel. Amos 4.13 says, He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. I believe that. That's why I believe we should praise him and revere him and glorify him. The psalmist says that we should sing new songs praising his name. Let's pick it up in verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he scratches, he, from his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the heart of it all, who considers everything they do. In the context here, talking about the children of Israel, uh, Israel uh, is, is really the primary context. They were, they were a nation blessed by God. He chose them for a special purpose, for a special reason, to be his God and they to be his people. We see that throughout scripture and even in end times prophecy yet to come. But I do believe that God's blessing will flow to any nation whose God is the Lord. I think he still looks down from heaven. He sees and considers all that mankind does. You know, when our country was formed, our founding fathers declared their dependence on God. And they sought to advance the gospel. Our original colonies were founded because of the Christian faith. The pilgrims who came to our shores in 1620 were seeking religious freedom and the freedom to preach the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They wrote a document called the Mayflower Compact. And while they were beneath the decks of their little ship, they wrote this document and it begins with these words, in the name of God. Amen. That's the way the Mayflower Compact begins. What were the desires of our pilgrim fathers? Well, in their own words, they made the journey, and I quote, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's why they came to these shores and formed this country. This Tuesday, July 4th, we'll celebrate the 247th birthday of our country. As we declared our independence centuries ago, we did so with these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now our fathers, our founding fathers believed that God created the world just as the psalmist did. They firmly believed that there were certain unalienable rights. What are unalienable rights? These are rights that cannot be taken away from a person under any circumstance. In the Declaration of Independence, these unalienable entitlements were set forth as life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. This means that we have the right to live our lives free from coercion or restraint by others. It provides freedom from interference with personal decisions, including moral and religious beliefs. Unalienable rights were never meant to be voted away by a majority vote, and they're not contingent upon the Constitution. They are inherent rights given by God that should not and cannot be taken away or ignored. I believe many of our founding fathers trusted God, and they sought direction from his word. They often invoked God in prayer and believed in divine providence. They understood, as the psalmist did, verse 16, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Verse 19, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Our security is not based upon the strength of our military or the size of our army. Centuries of war have shown that even the mightiest of nations one day experience defeat. There was a day when the sun did not set on the British Empire. In fact, if you study the numerous empires who've ruled the world, you'll notice that one day they all come to an end. As strong and mighty and wealthy as a nation may be, if they begin to rely upon their own strength, eventually they will collapse from within and another empire will rise from their ashes. The psalmist makes clear here that our hope should be in the Lord that our trust should be in his holy name. Psalm 33 teaches one of the cardinal lessons Israel had to learn again and again and again throughout her long history with God, and that is that deliverance belongs to God and salvation comes to those who wait, hopefully, for him rather than trusting in the form of human power. Friends, our hope is not tied to a political party or prominent politicians. Our future will not be determined by the size of our military or the strength of our dollar. Weapons of war will do little to deter the moral cancer that is eating away at our national conscience. Our society, sadly, is becoming more and more secular. We're abandoning faith in God and our dependence upon him. We have little value for human life. The standards of right and wrong are no longer tied to scripture or any other moral code. Rather, everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. And we've seen this before. This is not new. Israel did it. Nation after nation has walked this path and eventually experienced the consequences. I've not given up on America, nor do I believe it's too late. But I do believe that we are getting perilously close to a point of no return where our country needs to turn back to God. We need to do what Psalm 33 clearly says. We must wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. You know, it's easy for us to say we trust in God, but do we really? You know, there was a time in our country when those four words meant something. In God 
we trust. July 11, 1955, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed into law a bill, H.R. 619, requiring the inscription, In God We Trust, to appear on all U.S. coin and paper currency. When that resolution was first introduced by the House into the House by Representative Charles Bennett of Florida, he said this, and I quote, nothing can be more certain than that our country was founded in a spiritual atmosphere and with a firm trust in God. He went on, while the sentiment of trust in God is universal and timeless, these particular four words, in God we trust, are indigenous to our country. All U.S. coins have had the inscription, in God we trust, since actually the Civil War. But it wasn't until the passing of this law in 1957 did those four words start to appear on our paper currency. In fact, July 30th, 1956, by an act of Congress, that phrase became our national motto. But can I say that in God we trust must be more than a motto? It must be the foundation of our belief system. Either we believe it or we do not. Sadly, in just the last two decades, there has been a significant shift towards secularization. Our national belief system has drifted further and further away from God. We've seen even people arise that want to remove our national motto and take in God we trust off buildings and currency. If we want to see this trend reverse, we should not look to the White House or the State House or the School House or the Church House. We need to look in our own house. Does your family trust in God? Would your children and your grandchildren say that your family trusts in God? Parents, we must teach our kids the truth about God and his word. We must build our families on the foundation of faith in God. They need to know that the Lord God created the heavens and the earth and that he alone is Lord. Or sadly, our descendants one day may live in a world that's very different than ours. America may just be one more name on a list of former empires who once ruled the world. Let's pray that never happens. But if you would this morning, let's say that it did. Imagine with me, if you will, that our civilization was destroyed and that our cities were laid to waste. Suppose some 20,000 years into the future, archeologists from another society begin poking around the ruins of our great land and they find just one US penny. What would they know about us? You see, by looking at this coin, they can learn a great deal about who we were. This coin is a blend of metals 97.5% zinc, 2.5% copper. Thus, they would know that we were once skilled in the science of metallurgy. They would look at the shape of this coin, a perfect circle, and they would know that we understood geometry. They'd look at the date on that coin and it would let them know that we had a calendar and that we were understanding of arithmetic. The portrait of Abraham Lincoln would let them know that we were artists in an advanced culture. The words United States would tell them that we were once 
a country, a federated group of local communities bound together with a strong central government. On the back, they would see the phrase, e pluribus unum, and they would know that we were scholars and that we knew foreign languages. The word liberty right on the front of the coin would let them know that our country sought to guarantee freedom for everyone, everywhere. And finally, right at the top of the coin, that phrase, in God we trust, would tell them that we were once a country with a moral law and a belief in God. These four small words would inform them that we had grown strong and mighty under God's great hand. But finally, it would probably cause them to ask a heart-wrenching question. Why? Why did they ever go astray? You see, our country will go astray because our people went astray. Over time, person by person, family by family, slowly but surely, we walked away from God. We lost the fear of the Lord that the psalmist talked about. We failed to teach our kids and grandkids the creation story. We gradually forgot God's gracious help in our humble beginnings. We lost our patriotic spirit. We stopped singing the new songs. The psalmist in Psalm 33 implored us to sing a new song. Songs move us. Music inspires us. Certain melodies comfort us. Great hymns teach us. Music is powerful. The entire book of Psalms is a hymn book. In 1832, Samuel Francis Smith, a 24-year-old seminary student, sat in his room in Andover, Massachusetts, not far from where the lantern was hung that, during Paul Revere's famous ride. And he'd been given an assignment to translate some music out of a book. And as he was doing his work, uh, and started to translate the song, new words began to form in his mind as he heard this kind of catchy tune. And in, in a matter of just a few hours, the words of one of the most famous songs in American history was written. Now those from Britain know this tune as God Save the King. It's their national anthem. But in America, we sing it as my country, tis of thee. This young Baptist ministry beautifully crafted together words that both inspire a love of God and a declaration of dependence upon Almighty God. Listen to these beautiful words that he penned that evening and pay close attention to his reverence for God. He wrote, My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee, I sing, land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. My native country, thee, land of the noble free, thy name I love. I love thy rocks and rills, thy woods and templed hills, my heart with rapture thrills like that above. Let music swell the breeze and ring from all the trees, sweet freedom song. Let mortal tongues awake, let all that breathe partake. Let rocks their silence break, the sound prolong. 
our Father, God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God, our King. My friends, we have no king but Jesus. Our freedom comes from God, and as the psalmist so clearly said, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we declare our dependence upon you. Father, our hope is in you. God, in you we trust. God, we look at our country and the condition it's in, and the battles we face and the internal struggles and Father, just all that's going on, our hearts break. God, I pray that you would send revival to this country. God, that you would send revival to this church, to this community, to the families in this church. God, I pray that you would send revival to the hearts of each person in this room. Father, that truly the words in God we trust would be more than a phrase, but a God, it would be, it would be the way we live because it's what we believe that God, we trust in you, we depend on you. You are our strength, you are our source. God, you provide, you care for us, you love us. Your unfailing love is evident, God. God, I pray for our children in this country. I pray for the children in our schools in Collier County and for our kids in this church. God, I pray that they would, they would be taught that you are our creator, that you spoke the world in this, into existence, that you hung the stars, that Father, you are the creator, God, that you made everything ex nihilo out of nothing, and God, that we owe everything to you, that this world is yours. Father, I pray for our families, for our marriages. God, I pray, I pray, God, that we would lean into you, that you would help us as a church to God, bring light into a dark world. That, Father, we would be dispensers of hope as we go out into this community, as we serve food, as we minister to kids and families, as we love on our teachers. Father, as we help those that are down and out, that, God, you'd help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, Father, that there would be a resurgence of dependence upon you, God, and we recognize that everything that we have and everything that we need, God is provided for by you. So God, I pray that we would sing a new song, that we would embody the spirit that David wrote of in Psalm 33. God, that our hope and our trust and our dependence would be upon you and your unfailing love. Father, we love you and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Let's all stand together as we sing our final song.